So this morning it is wonderful to be in the house of the Lord and to consider his word. Obviously children and adults as well, but you children, you recognize that the room looks a little different and that our friends sitting on the front row, I hope they have no allergies to poinsettias. They're just a wee close. But we are glad to have uh, decorated in anticipation of Christmas through thinking about Advent. Let us ask the Lord to bless his word as I preach it and you hear it today. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you now in praise and thanksgiving for your goodness to us, which are more than we can number. During this Advent season, we especially remember the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came as the incarnate Son of God so that he might be truly God and truly man and pay the penalty for our sins through his atonement on the cross. We pray that you would help us to show our appreciation for what you have done for us eternally by our response to you here and now in the temporal. Help us not to be distracted by the things of this world, but help us to stay focused on the reality that you are the sovereign Lord of the universe and that one day you will come again. Please give us understanding of your word and the discipline to act on the teachings of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I consider Advent and we recognize that it is the coming of the Lord, it is the coming of the bridegroom to the bride, and we the church are the bride, I can't help but reflect on my own wedding. And it was, you know, just over 30 years ago. And I remember in those months leading up to our wedding, Rachel and I had lots of planning and budgeting and things to think about. But there was also this great anticipation. I was the groom and I was coming. I was living in Minneapolis at our apartment and Rachel had gone home from college and was living uh, at her parents' house. And I would get off on at about 3 a.m. on Wednesday morning, it would be Thursday morning, and I would drive all the way to central Wisconsin, about three hours, get in just as the sun was coming up, and spend a couple days uh, with her and her family, and then I'd drive back Friday afternoon uh, to head into work for Friday night. And I was so excited about getting married and getting closer and closer. I made that trip for six weeks, getting my days off besides Sunday and just coming in and, and pushing my, my body in order to um, see my wife or my soon-to-be wife. I was excited about all of that. Um, and there are lots of good stories tied in to all of that. Now fast forward to 2019. In 2019, four of my children got married and one in early 2020. So in a 14 month, and I actually figured this out, 14 months and two days, okay, we had five weddings. And, you know, it's very interesting. When you're the participant and you're being part of it, and, and really as a guy, because, you know, I had my suit picked out, like what I wanted that to be, and I had no other anticipation, right? I had no other expectations. You know, my wife being a woman, she had many things she had thought about 
in preparation for the marriage ceremony. Now, as a parent, right, you get all involved and your children get married and you do things. And I know many of you have experienced that to one degree or another. But I will say that we were on what I would call the wedding merry-go-round. Okay? We began to do these things and things began to pile up. Right? Before the first wedding, we had, we had a large kitchen. And so we started buying stuff in preparation and stacking it up. And, and in this case, we had to travel to Indianapolis. And so we had additional plans from Louisiana to Indianapolis to consider. But, you know, we had to get clothes, suits and dresses, food, housing, travel. That was in January of 19. And then we came back and we had leftovers that we were going to just use for the next wedding and different things tied to all of that. And the next one, though, wasn't until August. But that, starting in August, that's when things really took off because there was a wedding in August, there was a wedding in October, there was a wedding in uh, December, and a wedding in March. We're really calling. That's, that's, and it was just pile up, pile up in the, in the kitchen and other places of the house. And then we'd have a wedding and it dropped down, but never completely go away. Right? Anticipation and planning. But as a parent, you look at it in different ways. And we had limited budgets, and our kids all worked, and we said, this is what we can contribute and help out. And, of course, I say that, but that all goes out the window the week of the wedding, right? <laughs> because, you know, you're doing decorate. Oh, we need this. Oh, we forgot. Oh, how are we going to do that? And, you know, you just run and you take care of that. But it, it is a, a wonderful, a wonderful thing, both as a participant and as a parent towards a wedding. God our Father and Jesus the Son prepared for the wedding and is preparing for the wedding feast, which we will a little bit later participate in a way that envisions that. So we can think back to Christ's first coming and we can have that you know, hopeful anticipation of where that first advent of Christ's first coming when he came as a baby. And we can look forward to the fact when he comes into our lives and transforms us, that is a coming, a special coming of Christ in our lives. For some, it was at your baptism and you later on came to a place where that faith was your own. Some, you didn't know Christ. You were completely and utterly lost, and Christ illuminated you. That's a coming. And we, too, can consider the final coming of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. So here's a question. Why Advent? Why is it important to us? And, and really, my desire is I know we have all kinds of folks. Some of you guys grew up celebrating Advent, have candles, do family worship, a little different. Um, you have all these things you're doing. Some of you don't come from that particular background. I had no idea before I became Reformed about any of these things. I, I didn't know that the church really had anything going on before Azusa Street in 1904. I don't mean to make fun of people. It was just a reality. Nobody ever focused on that. But why Advent? Let us think of this. In Ephesians 5, verse 14, it says this. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 
See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So one of the things that we need to do in consideration of Advent, it's not just about Advent alone, but it is also about thinking about how to make sure that everything going on in this world is tied in our life, is tied to Christ, that Christ is the center of it. When you look at the calendar, don't just look at the calendar and say January, February, March, and on and on. But say, how does my calendar revolve around Christ? Now the most obvious thing is be in the house of God on the Lord's Day. When your elders call for there to be worship, unless you are providentially hindered, be there. It's a vacation. Find a church where you are, but be in the house of the Lord. The days are evil. We all know that. Turn on the news. Look at the internet. Look at social media. Shoot, just back up and look at what's going on in your own neighborhood and communities. Evil is all around us. Advent, the church calendar, gives us an opportunity to make sure that Christ is at the center of all that we're thinking about. God is omnipresent. God came to his people in a special way when Christ came as a baby born in Bethlehem. We need to contemplate on how to live while God is away. We can too often get too caught up in all the details of the lights, the parties, and the gifts during Christmas, during this, quote, holiday season. Let us settle and focus on the wonder of Christ's coming in the flesh. We should consider Psalms. And here we are reading today from Psalms, or excuse me, the Psalm 45. And this is a very interesting psalm. And you think, what does this have to do with Christ's coming? But you have to understand, remember God the Father, when He sent Christ, His Son, into the world, He was that Father, just as I was, stacking up things to bless his people. And he was blessing, do you think, do you think in that, that year or the years pre preceding my children getting married, I wasn't doing things to prepare for them to be married? Of course I was. Do you think I wasn't getting excited and putting special things aside? And I'll especially say with my wife's help. Thinking through and being excited for them. Our Father was doing the very same thing, preparing the world, laying things out. Jesus came at just the right time in history. And he had the, the, the view that Jesus would come as the bridegroom. But in order to do that, he would have to come as a baby. And if we look in Psalm 45, it says this, Beginning in verse 1, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. 
Now here the, the psalmist is writing and they are stating the fact that they are so full of joy for the coming wedding of the king and the bride. Now here is the thing. We as Christians need to be excited about Advent, excited about Christmas. But it isn't about the lights and the parties or necessarily even the fact our family comes together at that particular time. Those are all wonderful things. But if Christ is not at the center of it, it will merely pass away. We should be like the psalmist and be filled with our heart being overflowing with a good theme, the theme that Christ is at the center of all things. We should be longing for His coming. How do we feel for the bridegroom? Here we see the psalmist say this, You, about the bridegroom, You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty, and in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. Now there's a lot going on right here, but it starts out that you are fairer than the sons of men. Now if we're honest, we recognize that as human beings we have failures. We have difficulties. Jesus had no failures. He was sinless. He is fairer than all of us. Grace is upon our Lord's lips. God has blessed our Redeemer forever. Now it's very interesting. Verse 3 says, Gird your sword. Put that sword upon your thigh. You know, in Hebrews 4, we think about the double-edged double sword. In Revelations 19, we see Jesus with the sword in his mouth smiting the nations, ruling them. God's word is powerful. Jesus is the word, and at the same time, he is the bridegroom. And we should turn to God's word, submit ourselves to God's word. I'd rather God's word be a surgical instrument on me, cleaning me and cutting out the infections and taking out sin, than it being a tool of judgment upon me. When we read in anticipation and we see through Advent readings this reflection of sin before Christ came and the limited ability to deal with it at the temple with the sin offering and the Day of Atonement, you and I have the joy that we can, as we recognize our sin, confess it and be restored to the Almighty immediately. Now don't fret. fret. I know you will sin, I will sin. Christ is keeping us. But confess daily. Confess often when you sin. And here we see that not only does he have this sword, but it goes on and says that 
and you ride prosperously. He's a king, riding as a king. Because, why is he a king and why is he doing it prosperously? Because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And Jesus teaches us, the bridegroom teaches us awesome things. And remember this, your arrows, the arrows of the bridegroom are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. God's word is sharp against the king's enemies, against the Lord's enemies. Peoples fall under him. People of God, do not be afraid of the noise and the trouble and the difficulty and the turmoil in the world around us. Jesus is Lord. God sits on the throne and Jesus is at his right hand making intercession for you and I. That's right. And for all of the peoples of God. But he also, his word, it pierces the hearts of his enemies. When you don't know what to say, trust God's word. Say God's word, speak God's word into challenging situations. I don't mean that as in hocus pocus, like you say in a formula and it's working out. No, I mean when you're dealing with a situation, even if it's hard to believe, say God's word, speak God's word in those difficult situations and let God's word be the arrow against the enemies of God. It's very interesting. If we consider longing for the bridegroom, we think in Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's very interesting. Part of anticipation, part of that enthusiasm, is to understand you're going to leave your family. Right? You're going to leave your family. When we were sinners not seeking God, and we came to know Christ, we came into the family of God. We need to recognize that we need to leave the world and sinfulness behind us in Christ. Because, you know, the bridegroom does miracles for us. Not only does he bring down God's enemies, but Romans 5.19 reminds us, for as by one man's that is Adam's, disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We need to remember that the bridegroom brings us righteousness. If we continue on, we recognize that the Lord is good to all of us. And we should have anticipation and enthusiasm that Christ has brought us righteousness. And this is a time and Advent for us to think, yes, he brought us light so that we could see our sin. He brought us light so we could have wisdom. He brought us light so we could truly understand God's word. We need to recognize how wonderful Jesus is. Our bridegroom, in verse 8 of Psalm 45, says this, And your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia, out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. King's daughters are among your honorable women, and your right hand stands, at your right hand stands a queen in gold from Ophir. You know, God is good. And he isn't just a person of plainness, although we know that 
that were, no one was attracted to Christ because he was the most handsome guy and he was the most charismatic guy. No, he spoke God's truth. He was compassionate. Yes, the Lord used him and Jesus could do miracles. But what is the beauty of Christ? The beauty of Christ is righteousness. That's true, beautiful clothing, pure white. But remember this. It says here that the bridegroom, his garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and all of these things. You know, at Christmas time, we love the smell of the freshly cut tree. We love the smell of cinnamon around the house as it reminds us of our, our holidays past. God created us to be in this world full of physical things, beautiful things. We should decorate. We should be excited. We should make, you think about this, if there's any time of the year that we should be get excited or any time of our week we should get excited, it should be the time that we consider God and his great mercies towards us. Whether it's decorations like this, you think about it. I imagine on Christmas Eve, most people will dress up a little bit. Think about this. Gentlemen, when you take your wife out on a date, do you come in slovenly and just say, well, I came in from work, I'm dirty. Right? Let's go out to eat. Now, she might have some appreciation. She's been contending with the kids, going out to eat, getting away for a few minutes. But let's be honest, she does care how you look. She does care, are you making the effort? Our Lord made the effort. He comes in beauty and he says, make things beautiful, rejoice. John chapter 3, verse 29 says this, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. We should be full of joy that the bridegroom is coming, that he has come in physical form. Revelations 19, verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Christ is coming. Christ has come. Christ will come. This is a full assurance. People of God, he not only came as a baby, but he certainly did come and has come and will come. The church needs to act like the bride. Look at verse 10 in Psalm 45. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also in your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is... Your Lord, worship him, and the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious with the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. Christ comes to us, and we need to act like the bride. Incline our ear. Again, I think we are encouraged by that passage in Genesis about leaving our family. It says, forget your own people in your father's house. Forget your sinfulness. Forget 
the history and the difficulties of your family past. You are now in the family of God. The sins of the fathers are broken by the mercies of God. Now the truth is we can learn bad habits from our parents, bad ways to say things, poor ways to address problems. But the curse of that sin, when you've confessed your sin, it's broken. It does not follow you. Now, our difficulty with that is sometimes we think it does. We won't let it go. But let us leave those things in the past. Let us recognize that through Christ's righteousness, we are a royal daughter and we are glorious through Christ's righteousness. Another reason for us to be really excited about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and is coming. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as the bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as the bride adorneth herself with jewels. God, through his mercy, through the work of Christ, has clothed us in salvation. Our sins are forgiven. We confessed our sins here this morning. Have no doubt your sins are forgiven. You think, I don't know if I was earnest enough in my confession. Maybe I was slightly distracted. Maybe my child was moving around and I, I wasn't wholly focused on that prayer. You confessed your sins. Christ is the one who did the work. It isn't how earnest you are. It is Christ's faithfulness. It simply says, if you confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us. We need to be thoroughly, thoroughly full of joy and thankfulness during this Advent season. It should be building up to a crescendo. You'll start decorating in your house and it becomes more and more and your focuses and your scripture readings. You know, pick up the Advent readings, sing the Advent songs and psalms, be full of joy, building up. And you know what the great thing is? We'll finish up Christmas, and some of you I know, like my family, we celebrate 12 days. But even at the end of the 12 days of Christmas, we are full of joy because we are the bride of Christ through His mercy. It does not end. His mercies are new every morning. As we approach the end of Psalm 45, it says this, Instead of your fathers, instead of your fathers shall be your sons, whom you shall make princes in all the earth. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. The people will praise Jesus forever. You know why? We know Philippians 2 tells us what? That on the last day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Right now, there's all kinds of things going on in the world to make us be fearful and distracted from remembering that Jesus is Lord. Let our lives be focused on that. Before we close out, I want to just mention a few things to us. We need to mind the mud. You know, we are the people of God. We are dressed and clothed in Christ's righteousness. We have salvation through the work of Christ. Our Father loves us and has been preparing 
for us this whole time and is currently preparing for us. But we need to be careful during this Advent season to guard against sentimentalism. That is to say, oh, let's just have warm fuzzies. Christmas without conflict and sin. That's not how that, that Christmas should be. We need to recognize that Christmas without conflict and sin, because sin brought actual conflict and violence, death is our enemy. God has ordained conflict. Remember Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That is, from the very beginning, conflict. Sin entered the world. Don't become so concerned with we need all these warm, fuzzy feelings. And that's what the Christmas season is about. That's what the world is hearing. It's a, it's a think about this, it's a Hallmark movie. It all works out in the end. There's warm fuzzies, there's love. You know, you just have to get back to the true meaning of Christmas. No, remember that from the very beginning, it was set up to be conflict because Christ was going to redeem us from this sin. I think we also need to guard against moralism. Okay, there's going to be conflict. If you're a Christian and you go home and you have unsaved family members, there's going to be strains and conflicts because your priorities are Christ's priorities. And the same thing will happen in our community or at our workplace. But we have to also remember that, we, that you can't escape not only conflict, but Christmas is also about recognizing that all are sinners. What was the conflict about? The conflict was about sin in the first place. And we all know this. We heard it last week out of Romans chapter 3. We know that we're all sinners. And God's word continuously points that out. Outside of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the last thing that I want to point out to mind the mud is merely this. And that is spiritualism. We have this idea sometimes that, that walking with God, God, there's God's world and there's the physical world. That is Aristotle influencing the way we think. The physical world is being redeemed just as we are being redeemed. This is God's world. And when the new heavens and the new earth, they don't just come and replace everything. They are joining earth to heaven. There's no more barrier between God's throne and the people here on the earth. God intended for us to do things in the physical Christmas should have physical things that we do. Remember, first of all, in Philippians 2, we're reminded that Jesus, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He was fully man. He lived the life. When he was a boy, when he, when he fell down, he scraped his knee and he bled. He got hungry. He got tired. He went to feasts. Here's the thing, we can consider this also, that when Jesus was born, 
He was born in a particular place, the city of David, Bethlehem. And it's important when we consider this, it says you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He needed to be covered up. Because like all babies, he was born naked. And he needed to be warm. And he was lying in a manger. He was lying in a physical space. <clears throat> God created us to be in this physical world. Have no fear of it. Don't separate it. There is no spiritual life and physical life. There is one life, the life that God has given you, and it should be centered by Him. If you're not convinced, let us consider Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived of the womb. Now I can guarantee you this, from a physical standpoint, even the baby Jesus knew that he was being circumcised. That happened in the physical world. God is at work and doing things in the physical world. And of course we know that the shepherds came to a particular place and they worshipped. We know that the uh, wise men came and they came to a house. And they gave what? They didn't just offer up prayers. They did worship him, but what else did they do? They gave physical gifts. People of God, be generous. Have a good time. Bestow on other people, your children, your family members, even the unsaved, great blessings during this Advent season. We need to look to Advent as God's special coming, the past, his special coming in the past, and look into the present and look to the future. I'll close just with this. You need to be filled with joy. Your sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. We are the people of God. And Jesus has come. He is coming. And He will come. All of this should just fill us up. And this Advent season is an opportunity for us to focus on this here today. So as, as you prepare to go home, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, let us consider all the ways that we can be filled of joy and gratefulness towards the work of Christ in our lives and make sure that during this season in particular, not this season alone, but this season in particular, we take pause and we consider all that Christ has done and make it part of our daily life. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you praise today. We thank you that you have forgiven us, that you prepared for your coming, that you did come and that you are coming again. Let us with joy go through the Advent season. In Jesus' name, amen.